we just wanted to show how difficult it's been and how even once we're approved by the courts, we're still fighting. All of our struggles are connected. I'm Kevin Christopher Robles. Today, Veer Shetty, representing Students for Justice in Palestine, breaks down why it took five years of legal battles for Fordham to approve their club and what they hope the future will bring. Then, Marina Vergara speaks about her choice to leave the Ailey program. Finally, Lorene Ruiz compares her hometown of San Francisco to bustling New York City. This is Retrospect, the official podcast of the Fordham Observer. I'm joined now by Veer Shetty, who is here to represent Students for Justice in Palestine, or SJP, a club whose existence on campus has finally been approved after five years of legal battles. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Excited to be here. So, Veer, can you give us a rundown of exactly what the situation was with SJP and why this five-year-long battle happened in the first place? Um, so originally, it was Ahmad, Safira, and Julie and Sophia, and they had all wanted to start a Fordham Students for Justice in Palestine. And when they tried, they went, they jumped through all the hoops, they went through all these the normal club procedures. And at the end of all of it, after a year-long battle with just Fordham, there's no lawyers or anything, they got their club vetoed and administration cited it would be too, quote-unquote, politically divisive. And so after that, um, Palestine Legal heard about it, who they're an amazing nonprofit pro bono law firm who defends Palestinian rights in America. And they wanted to sue on our behalf for um, the ability for us to organize on campus for Palestinian rights. And so they, along with the students who joined the lawsuit as petitioners, um, decided to sue Fordham to gain club access. It was pretty interesting just because earlier they actually had said, um, you can have a club, but you can't call it Students for Justice in Palestine. And we said, or they said, it was unacceptable, and which... We still stand by today. That's what we're fighting for, justice in Palestine. So after that, they sued Fordham. And then, obviously, as uh, court cases do, took a really, really long time to the point where every single petitioner was graduating. Julie, who just graduated uh, last semester, she was the last one on the case who was still enrolled at Lincoln Center. And so they really needed a, another petitioner because they were worried that Fordham would then be like, oh my gosh, everyone's graduated you guys don't have a club, like, if that's your, that's on you. And I had actually reached out just on Twitter. My friend was at, um, was in SJP at GW. So I just went on Twitter and I searched Fordham SJP, found the Twitter account, and that's how I got involved. And they added me to the case, which Fordham actually denied me getting added to the case. And then we met right before school ended, uh, during finals last semester at the courthouse to have our last final, hopefully final, hearing. And at that hearing, we were really hopeful. Uh, the judge told us that hopefully we'd hear back before Julie graduated uh, at graduation in mid-May, just so we could have some sort of continuity and she could graduate knowing that SJP existed. But as how the courts work and Fordham and all of the extenuating circumstances, uh, we did not find out that we won until uh, a few weeks ago, actually. 
And in the ruling, the judge ruled um, Fordham's not allowing us to organize on campus and not exist as, in her own words, um, arbitrary and capricious were the two words that um, she used. So what does that mean exactly? Uh, What does it mean now that you're approved to exist on campus? So beforehand, we didn't have a club. So really, it was just six of us doing a reading group. So it would just... We couldn't organize. We couldn't get approval. We tried to watch a movie with our six of us last semester, and Fordham didn't even allow that. We had to go through, jump a bunch, uh, jump through a bunch of hoops, and even just watching a movie was difficult. And so now, what it means is that we have a proper avenue to flyer, get funding, be able to be an official club, and actually be able to vocally, vocally support Palestine on campus. So the club has only been in official existence since the beginning of the term, right? Uh, We officially formed and officially are a club as of a few weeks ago. Up until then, we were nothing just but a few students who were reading about Palestine. (laughs) Um, So as of now, now that you're formed, what are your goals going forward? Uh, I think that so uh, we really want to just raise uh, awareness about the issue and just have a platform on campus to speak. Fordham has really never allowed any sort of anti-imperialist, anti-colonialist, overtly anti-imperialist club to exist on campus. And so now that we finally have a voice to be anti-war, anti-occupation, we think it's awesome. And we had our first club day, which is our first official um, Fordham event, which was really, really awesome. We filled up like four pages full of people who were, seemed eager to join. Uh, plenty of students came and were super, super excited to be like, holy cow, we finally have a voice on campus, which many felt they didn't have until now. Uh, for a lot of students, especially newer ones, why should they be paying attention to SJP? Um, I think SJP is a really important important voice to have on campus just because uh, these issues aren't really talked about. And for us in SJP, we think this is one of the moral issues of our time. Um, There's six million refugees. The drinking water in Gaza is undrinkable. And having a space to organize and just educate. We want to make it clear that this is a club for anyone who's even remotely interested in the issue and to have these conversations and learn together. And None of us know everything, and we want to just have a space where we can work through these issues together and openly and have these really, really important discussions. What are some specific things that you guys are advocating for? So each SJP chapter is a little bit different, but there are a few things. We want to end the occupation and uh, stop building of all new settlements and just in general condemn Israel's extreme right-wing government committing human rights abuses on on a daily basis. Our biggest goal for this year is just to raise awareness and educate people about the issue. So we do things like having guest speakers, Palestinian poets, uh, professors come speak and share their perspectives on the issue. And then during um, like our meetings, we want to just go through readings um, and talk through them. I think that our big goal, again, is we just want to stress education and awareness. What, what would your highest hopes be for your club going forward? Um, just having open dialogue and just people being excited to join and being excited to learn about the issue because up until now, we've literally not even been, been able to talk about it. And so now that we are, we want to talk to everyone and 
spread our message. So what's next going forward? What is next for SJP? Uh, so it's actually been quite hellish these last couple of weeks just because we got approval and then all of a sudden we had to do all of these club things that um, normally would have been taken care of a long time ago. So in terms of like budgeting and uh, club spaces and uh, just dealing with administration, all of these things have sort of just been thrown into. So uh, we have our big event on the 27th to kick things off. And we're really, really hoping to have some awesome guest speakers. There'll be free food. It's Friday, 5 to 9. Be there. Uh, not we- this Friday. It's September 27th, Friday, 5 to 9. Um, Where would this be? It's uh, th- Thank you for asking that. Uh, we still, I think, are... Actually, I think we got the moot courtroom. But for our regular meeting dates and stuff, we are still talking with administration and figuring out our budget and still figuring out rooms and stuff. So we're definitely still in the very, very early stages, but we're so excited and happy to put in the work that is going to be required to make it a club where we can have weekly meetings, organizing, and doing stuff on campus. For people who might be interested in uh, seeing what SJP is about, uh, where should they go and what should they do? Um, So first, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, we're pretty active on or, or Instagram or Facebook. We're pretty active on all three posting updates and such. If you are nervous, hesitant about it, you feel like you don't know enough, uh, I would definitely recommend just going on the U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights website. They have a ton of great resources. Or feel free to reach out to any of us, me, Batul, Julie. We're always happy to talk and give resources to whoever wants them. I think for all the people who uh, are new and uh, are interested in the issue, I think that the reinstatement of SJP at Fordham, again, just gives them a voice to speak. And if you are interested in the issue, gives you a platform to really engage with it and think critically. Whereas for literally everyone previously, they never had that opportunity. Uh, Even the people who were super, super into it, they had their rights to um, organize on campus denied. And so I just think it's awesome that for all the new freshmen and people coming in, they won't hopefully have to deal with that. The one thing I wanted to add was that Fordham is actually appealing. Um, So it really makes no functional difference for us now. Uh, We are still good to organize and do everything well within our um, legal limits. But uh, we just wanted to make clear just how much Fordham really doesn't want us to exist, and we're still fighting. So Fordham is still appealing the decision? Uh, Yeah, which I don't want to speak too much on because I don't know exactly all the details, but what I was told is basically that it's generally something that most, that is normal, and that we just shouldn't worry about it. It shouldn't even, like, it should just be in the back of our minds, but we just wanted to show how difficult it's been and how even once we're approved by the courts, we're still fighting. Uh, The struggle doesn't end, and um, all of our struggles are connected. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I just wanted to make it clear that we are super excited for the year ahead, and anyone is more than more than welcome to join us. Thanks so much. Thank you.
We're joined by Marina Vergara, a former ALE student now turned English major. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. So, Marina, can you give us a rundown of what exactly your predicament is? Well, when I started at the ALE school, things were great, and I was extremely happy with where I was and what I was doing, and I loved it. I really did. I thought it was my dream, and it felt like where I was supposed to be at the time. And then the semesters went on, and I was the first semester went pretty well, and then the second semester came around, and to be completely frank, my mental health took a turn for the worse, and it that really impacted my dancing, and it impacted the way I was able to be present in class. And it was really hard for me to focus on my dancing because my brain was telling me all these things that it was wrong with myself. Whether they were true or not, my brain still told them to me constantly. And it got to the point where dance became this toxic thing for me. And it was quite torturous to go to class and to be stuck in this room where I was constantly reminded of my flaws and reminded of all the ways in which I was inadequate enough or wasn't good enough or couldn't get a job in the dance world, et cetera, et cetera. The list just kept going on in my head. And then eventually I started to realize that I don't think this was my dream anymore, that my plans have changed. And I realized that dance didn't make me happy. It was just sort of an activity I became doing and it lost the feeling of passion. And when I lost that passion, I realized I needed to make a change. Do you feel that issues like this are common in programs like Ailey? I think the pressure of programs like Ailey definitely creates an environment among the students where mental health can like get a little frail and people definitely need to be aware of their own mental health and make sure that they keep it as a priority. For me, I was so focused on everything that was going on inside my head and trying to still overcome that and be the best dancer I could be. And on top with schoolwork as well, it just made it hard for me to prioritize myself. Myself kind of got lost in the mix of the dancing, the rehearsals, the feeling of not being good enough, as I said. Yeah, I think in a program like Ailey where it's so competitive and you're surrounded by people who are as good as you or better, oftentimes better than you, which is great because you learn from them, but at the same time you're reminded that you're not that as much as you strive to be that. It means a lot to know that I'm not the only one in this position, that other people, other artists, I feel like it's really common amongst artists to get lost in the fact that this was my dream and this is what I'm supposed to do because I've done it my whole life and then realizing that you don't have to keep doing something simply because you did it your whole life and you can prioritize yourself in your mental health is really freeing and it's also really freeing to know that I'm not alone in the struggle. Do you have any advice that you'd like to give to someone who might be where you were uh, at the end of last semester debating whether or not this is something that they want to continue doing, whether it's in Ailey or another uh, very intensive program. If you have the thought that this might not be for me, I would definitely explore that thought. Don't just push it to the back of your head and let it go away because there is some truth in that. And I would really take the time 
because it's not an easy decision. So don't rush into it, but definitely take your time and really evaluate. Is this my dream still? Am I passionate about this? And also, do I feel like I could make a career out of it? And those questions for me ended up being no. And I realized that that's why I needed to change. And I really hope that if other students are in this position and feel like this major not, might not be for me or this program might not be for me, definitely acknowledge what you need for yourself and what you need to succeed. And if those programs can't offer you what you need to be happy, then it might be better for you to leave. It's not saying those programs are bad. They're definitely wonderful programs because all these other students are out there thriving. And Ailey is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful institution. It makes me emotional talking about it because they do great things for the world. Um, and I see them as an old friend. I really do. Um, but so don't like blame the institution and don't blame yourself. Just realize that things change and that's totally okay. It's totally normal. And I hope students can realize that Changing your major can be scary as hell because um, you don't really know what you're, where you're going after that. But I hope that they see that the unchartedness of the path that they're taking um, is kind of beautiful in its own way. Thank you for joining us, Marina. Thank you for having me. I'm joined now by Lorreen Ruiz, who wrote an article about her experience as someone from San Francisco living in New York City. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me. So, Lorreen, you're from San Francisco, right? Yeah, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. What was it like first coming to New York? Well, I remember my first time in New York here as a freshman, um, and I tried to emulate the way that other people cross the street. Because here people don't abide by the the traffic lights. <laughs> they just kind of go for it. And the first time I did it, I literally almost got run over by a car. And I thought, okay, I'm not meant to be here. Do you feel like that is a common feeling among a lot of freshmen? Like people who are new to New York City, do you feel that they feel uncomfortable existing in a space that might not be the most accessible? Well, it's definitely scary um, because, you know, coming here for the first time, everything feels so vast and, and so immense and you're not really sure what to make of it, like almost like somebody threw a really dense book at you and you're trying to figure out how to interpret it or what it means. So what, what would you say are the biggest differences between San Francisco and New York? Uh, well, number one, the thing that surprises a lot of people is the cleanliness. Um, I think New York is, I mean, despite having piles of garbage on the sidewalk in Manhattan, it's actually much cleaner. Like we're known for having uh, needles and human feces on the sidewalk in San Francisco. Um, that's not uncommon or like empty marijuana packets just lying on the ground. And I don't really see those things, in, at least in Manhattan. The second is uh, definitely people's out outward attitude. In California, if you make eye contact with somebody, like that might be your gateway to starting a conversation. Whereas making eye contact with someone in New York is viewed as 
a possible sign of aggression. So you have to tread carefully. But I think the thing that is the most different is the general feel of like the attitude and the culture. I think New York is is so fast paced, but it's so vibrant. And they put a lot of emphasis on the arts and humanities here. Whereas San Francisco, while still being fast paced innovatively, is like very laid back and it's full of um, people who are focused on programming and STEM. And that's just not my scene. So how did you deal with the culture shock of living in New York? Well, I dealt with it the way that I deal with most most problems in my life is just to deal with it head on. So, you know, I go for walks on the street. Um, I try not to rely on Google Maps to get me places. And if I needed help, like I would bite the bullet and just ask for it. And it turns out a lot of New Yorkers are actually very, very happy to help you if, if you ask nicely. <laughs> uh, so at the beginning of this new semester, I'm sure there are a lot of freshmen who are experiencing a lot of the same kind of trials that you went through. What sort of advice would you give them? I think um, because there's so many members of our community that are from New York or the surrounding areas, definitely lean on your community. Um, ask your friends or um, ask your peers if there are any cool spots that they like to go to and like ask if they'll take you there because you know everything is so much less intimidating when you have a friend with you, um, someone who can give you any insider tips. How do you feel about New York City now? Oh, I love New York City. I definitely view it as my second home. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Um, I feel like I'm starting to assimilate. You know, I'm able to give cold stares at people on the sidewalk when I walk by to let them know that they shouldn't get in the way of my commute. But, you know, I still have that California joie de vivre in me. (laughs) When it comes to navigating the city... Obviously, that's something that can be very difficult for someone who doesn't live in a place that has as complicated a subway system as New York City does. So do you have any advice on helping navigate New York City? I think, well, what I love to do with people who are just visiting the city or who are new is to sit down with them, pull out a subway map and just teach them how it works, which train lines go where, um, how to deal with possible service changes or like what all the little symbols and colors on the map mean. I think, you know, just like visiting any new place, it's worth just taking the time and like devoting like an hour to just really understanding how things work because this is something that you're going to be using all the time if you don't want to waste an exorbitant amount of money on like Ubering. Uh, Do you have any specific lines or trains or buses that you think people should use or avoid? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) So I, at least in Manhattan, I have very reliable experience with the one Um, The A and the S between Times Square and Grand Central is actually pretty good. Um, As The 7 is also pretty on time. Um, I avoid the C train with every inch of my being because every time I go on it, it breaks down. Same with um, the R trains. I don't have good luck with those either. And absolutely avoid the 4, 5, and 6 during rush hour. So for a lot of students who might have classes at Rose Hill, sometimes they might not be able to take the Ram van because it's full or they just missed it. What's the best way to get up to Rose Hill and back using New York's public transit system? For my friends who have missed the Ram van, they just take the D train all the way up to um, the Fordham Road stops in the Bronx. But do be warned, that is about a 15-minute walk to campus, so it may not compensate for all the time that you've missed. Um, There might be some bus lines that run up there, but I also find that the bus service is pretty spotty and quite difficult to understand, frankly. And so I think the subway is your next best bet, but just be prepared to walk a lot and bring a jacket. It's probably going to be cold outside. So, Lorene, do you have any final pieces of advice for 
people who are new to the city and who might be feeling a little scared. Don't let the city swallow you up. Um, take time to investigate each neighborhood, each nook and cranny, um, because just like like a dense book that I described earlier, um, if you go chapter by chapter or paragraph by paragraph, um, everything will seem a lot less intimidating. So start with a neighborhood. Start with Lincoln Square or Hell's Kitchen. Um, discover all the interesting things that are there. And when you're done, like move on to your next little bit of New York. And you've got four years here at the very least. And so make the most of it. And who knows, like maybe you'll find yourself wanting to stay after those four years, just like me. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming. Thanks, Kevin. This has been Retrospect. I'm Kevin Christopher Robles. See you next time.